When young people leave school, there can be certain expectations of what they might achieve, both from others and themselves. This mum shares her inspirational story of how she carved out her own career path, crafted her financial future and built a six-figure business. An inspirational journey carrying with it the message that we all have incredible potential when we follow our passions and play to our strengths. Join me as I talk to Rebecca Robertson. Welcome to the Empower podcast for mums in business. We are women building a business we love while making a home for the ones we love more than anything. I'm your host, Nicola Hewlin. Join me as I talk to seemingly ordinary women just like me and you as they share their extraordinary stories and inspirational advice to bounce back even stronger from challenging times and thrive in business, motherhood and life. So I'm delighted to welcome to today's episode, Rebecca Robertson. Hi, Rebecca. Hello, hello, hello. Hey. Now, I'm going to share a quick secret with um, with our audience because before I hit record you and I were talking horses 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 because we're both horse nuts and then we thought oh we better crack on with the interview huh because we could be sat here all day otherwise talking about our passions we could 100% <laughs> so let's start and we'll see if horses feature at some point in this episode let me start by handing over to you as you know, we are here to start by sharing our stories of how we've been through tough times, faced challenges, and been able to bounce back. What is your bounce back story? Well, it's, it's hard sometimes to find one. I'm sure like a lot of women out there, there, there's there's more than one, right? And sometimes it might on the outside seem quite trivial or quite small, but the way that we internalize it and the way we struggle with it can actually could be a much bigger impact than it really seems. And um, I know I'm quite a independent, strong person. So not a lot of people check in with me. They just assume I'm okay. Um, so I've, I've probably got quite a few little stories. Um, but I think one that I that first like to share with you is um, I'd like to start actually when I left school and I left school at 15 and I left school with three GCSEs, and um, which was in art, English lit, and I think keyboarding. <laughs> so it was nothing to do with the industry that I'm in now and what I do now at all. Um, and my first job was um, actually strawberry picking. So I left, I was young for my age. I left at 15 and I became 16 in the summer. And I ended up going to college and I, I packed fruit in factories to get myself through college. Um, I um, eventually I started to work in a bank when I was 19 so I didn't go through like a, um, a hand passage of here's your ticket to university and I didn't even do A levels I, I, I just wasn't in that place I academically wasn't in that place I always thought that I would be a receptionist or and there's nothing wrong with being a receptionist but but actually my parents aspirations were even lower than that and so what reason I'm telling you that story is, is that's not part of my bounce back, but it's part of my history to give you a bit of context. So at 28, when I was a regional sales manager, I ran a team of financial advisors, all male um, and mortgage brokers. I was at the top of my game. I was a regional sales manager and I was on the top, top of my game. I was headhunted for the job. 
um, and I was good at it. So you can imagine in that 10 year period, say nine year period, I'd worked really hard, worked up, up yeah, the ladder. You were blazing a trail. I was, and I was, there was not many of me, put it that way. Um, I think I was the only female sales manager. My previous job, there were several sales managers. I was the only sales manager and I was a top performing sales manager out of many, many men. Um, and um, I was the only female financial advisor in the firm before I became a manager and then I re recruited and brought more on. So just to give you a bit of a context, so I was extremely proud of who I was and what I achieved. And I wore that... Yeah, and I wore that with a badge of honour that I'd achieved so much when so little was expected. But I think there's far too much pressure put on kids then and even more so today. Um, sometimes we, we reach our, our, our potential at the, when we don't expect it and so we shouldn't put those aspirations, other people's aspirations onto ourselves. So I was pregnant, I felt pregnant. I've been with my partner for, at that point, I think eight or nine years. Um, we were um, we were married um we'd been married about 18 months before that and I thought okay this is all good so it's all good so I'm gonna go and tell my boss um, that I'm now 14 weeks pregnant and he said to me don't tell me that don't don't tell me that you haven't told me that I said okay I'm a bit confused and there was this whole massive confusion around all of this but in the end I, I made a decision a week later to officially tell him and uh, four days later I was made redundant along with the other regional sales manager and so I was pregnant, I was newly married, um, although you know, still you know, a long-term relationship, and my identity had literally been like, taken away from me. That's how it felt. I felt like I literally didn't know what to do with myself. Um, and as I grew bigger, my bump grew bigger. This is 2008, the recession was officially announced. So my industry, financial services, just didn't exist. There were no jobs for sales managers. There were no jobs for advisors, let alone people that were gonna manage them. Um, and I tried to start a business. I was gonna be a consultant to financial services business to show them how to bring on more clients and how to look after people and their revenue, etc. And everyone said, I'd love to have you on board, Rebecca. You, you're, you're amazing at what you do, but we've got no budget for it. We've got no business coming in. We're in a recession. So um, I had my baby and um, I couldn't get a job. Um, obviously up to before that I was hugely heavily pregnant there were no jobs but even the normal everyday jobs I was overqualified my CV just did not fit in retail my CV didn't fit for administration jobs um, it was why is this person you know with all her years of experience a regional sales manager now becoming an administrator for example so it just it, I, I couldn't get a job so I signed on and um you're talking about such a for me was such a culture shock mm. um from going to work in a, a tottenham court road a top office in london um with you know fancy reception areas going into you know you couldn't wear flip-flops because there's fleas in the carpet in the job center i was under one day it rained really heavily and they asked to take my umbrella and i didn't understand that that's my umbrella why do you want my umbrella you weren't allowed to take them in unless you just in case you hit people with them like this was such a culture shock. I just didn't understand it at all. Mm. Um, I went in with a lever arch file, um, A to Z of all the jobs I'd applied for. They literally looked at me as if I was an alien. They didn't know what to do with me. Um, cut a long story short, my morale, you know, being at its pretty much its lowest by this point. So new baby, I had a medical condition of underactive thyroid. I had to have what's called a thyroidectomy, which is where you have a nine inch scar in your throat and basically part of your throat is removed basically in a nutshell so I couldn't move my head an inch for weeks and weeks and weeks while it was healing mm -hmm. um 
it was like the, the symptoms of postnatal dis- depression, I guess, but it wasn't postnatal depression. So I was on medication and eventually I got better. I went to, in the end, I, I went for a job interview in a bank. I plucked up the courage to go for a job interview in a bank. It was in locally in my town. And bear in mind, I started as a cashier in a bank at 19 and I was now 29. Um, I sort of thought, well, I should have this in the bag. This should be okay. And I was just going for a, a cashier's job. Well, they don't, then they didn't do their testing the probably the way they do it now. But at that time, we were still talking over 10 years ago. I was put into a room and there was lots of other people milling around, obviously being interviewed for the same job or similar jobs. So it felt quite competitive already. I felt like I was being lined up against compared to other people. Um, and I don't know, anyone that's had a baby knows that your confidence drops anyway, right? You, you doubt yourself about so yeah, much. So at this point, I was at my lowest, really at my lowest point. And um, I was never great at maths. Now, I, I don't know, they've tell you, you've probably done, done an intro and told people what I do, but, you know, I never did well at maths at school. That wasn't my forte. Um, why I, where I, reason I got to where I was is that, yes, I was, ended up being good with money, um, but it was more about people. I was very good with people. I could talk to people. I could work out what they needed and deliver it to them without them even really having to articulate what they wanted. I just knew. It's like an intuition thing. And I had this person sitting across me in this interview and they gave me a piece of paper and a pencil and said, right, I'm going to ask you 10 questions. And this is number question one. And you can't use a calculator. I just want you to work out the answer and tell me what you think. Um, so they said, if someone comes into the bank, they've got five £20 notes, two £10 notes, seven £5 notes, a bag of coins of 20p's, a bag of coins of 5p's and 10 bags of uh, 50p's. They put that into their account. Their balance is £569.29 and they'd like to take out £69. How much have they got left in their bank account? I, I just was stumped. <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't do it. Like my brain wasn't at that place where I could just automatically go manually with a piece of paper, write that down and figure that all out. So I, I, I did an attempt of it, but it, I, I knew that I was just, I looked, I looked, she looked at what I was writing and she must have known that I was struggling. Like, okay, question number two, it got worse. <laughs> it didn't get any better <laughs> than that. And I was just at this place where all the doubts of my past, you know, you're no good at maths, you're never going to achieve much, you know, you're not going to get far in life were all literally on top of me on that second of that moment. And bear in mind, I'd been a bank manager and I couldn't get a job in a bank. It was soul destroying. After two or three questions, I said, I'm really sorry, I can't do this. I put the pen down, I got up and I walked out and I walked home and it was throwing it down with rain. And I just felt so ashamed. I I felt physically so ashamed. Like Everything that everyone had told me that I was good for, that's that's how I felt about myself. And I got home and my husband didn't quite know I was crying because it was so wet outside. And I never forget that moment. Um, I ended up um, getting a part-time job in, for a charity as an administrator. And after a year, I felt much more confident. I started reorganising the office and the office manager wasn't really keen on that. Um, my face started to not fit anymore because I sort of started my bounce back if you like mm. and I was headhunted by my new boss uh, by my old boss to go and work for another firm and eventually I got back into being an advisor again and um, I was at a place where 
I was just finding my feet, if I'm honest. The first year or two, I was finding my feet. But after a little while of being back, being an advisor, back working with clients, um, you know, doing what I do best and what I was really good at, I was becoming top of the league tables. I was earning really good money. And I felt like, ah, I found my identity again because that period of time when I wasn't working, um, before that, I'd go to a barbecue, for example, and you meet people and you go, what do you do for a living? And you tell them your job and, and it, you feel like this badge of honor, like it's an identity thing. And then, but whilst I was in that period of not working or just doing this part-time charity work, um, I'd say, and I'd use the word just, and if I hear anybody say it now, I pick them up on it. And I'd say, oh, I'm just a mum. And I kick, I hate myself. I kick myself now for being that person. But I think we have to sometimes meet those places to touch the ground, to be able to bounce back up again. And I found myself, um, yeah, that I, I was saying I'm just a mum. So when I got that job again and I felt that identity, um, I did feel proud. I did feel proud of myself and I did enjoy, I, I, I thrive on that. I enjoyed it. Um, but the psychological change in me from being, you know, through that process was huge. Maybe on the outside, everyone just saw me being happy, being a mom and I was all fine. But inside it was so much more than that. There was so much going on for me. And then you fast forward um, so many years, you know, multi award winner, wrote a book, just to look back to launch my own podcast TEDx talk. TEDx talk. TEDx talk. TEDx talk. Um, you know, trained many female financial advisors. Um, you know, a leader in my industry. And I made that change from being sort of working for somebody else to starting my own business because I didn't like the way they wanted me to charge. It didn't feel ethical or valued. And I think that was a big shift for me in terms of recognizing my own value and that actually what I could add to that was of, of value that I was enough to be able to take that next step and the business itself was just a, a, a catalyst of personal development really to allow me to strive to take the next step and the next step how so many then years, I, just for the context um, mm, for, for the audience, eight years. How, how many years ago was that eight years you've been eight years I've been running my business for business. uh this year yeah and then so my second bounce back was um I've got a little boy now who is coming up to four so I went on maternity leave so I'd well, about five years four and a half years into my business things were going really really well and you've got a lot of mindset shifts that goes on with your business you know enoughness um up leveling to earn more money you know investing back in yourself um, and I'd got to the point where I was paying myself okay and I had enough money in the business so I planned to have the baby I actually planned it and I planned it to the nth degree. So I'd, I'd, I didn't want to be in a situation that when I first started my business that I spent, you know, quite a long time struggling. It's hard work, you know, you're not paying yourself so much and you've got bills to pay. I, I didn't want to be in that place again. So um, I got my team involved. Um, there was a process. So if I had new inquiries come in, someone had to deal with it. Um, anything that came through me, then they would pick it up. Um, so I had a pipeline of business. I had systems in place. I had enough money in the bank to, for me to take the maternity leave. It was all, you know, over about eight months planned out that I would take this maternity leave. So that when I came back in January of, I think, what are we talking now? Uh, three years ago, so January three years ago, that I'd come back and I'd hit the ground running, that I wouldn't have an issue. I'd have a full diary and I would be able to, you know, be absolutely fine. 
I came back to very little in the diary. Um, I came back to literally only a month's worth of money. Um, and it was like starting from scratch. It literally was like right at the beginning again. And I spent probably three or four months um, really, how do I put this? Challenging myself, like I had to pick myself up time and time again. It's almost like I took myself back mentally to the beginning when I first started my business and that mental mindset, the money mindset about around all the enoughness and all the, you know, you can do this and why what, should I even bother? Just give up, you know, just, just be a mom that kept, you know, coming around in my head. And I decided that, that this was, I wanted more for myself. I wanted to achieve more. I wanted to be in a position where I could, um, financially pay for things that I wanted to pay for. I don't believe in, um, I believe in relationships, couples supporting and loving each other in the right way, however that might seem in a financial sense. But personally, for me, I did not feel comfortable my partner paying for everything. And I see a lot of women in their 50s and their 60s that then get to the point where they've, they, they may have separated or they might be in a situation where they don't understand their finances or they actually end up with very little um, and they've been thinking someone else has got it covered. And I believe in women being financially independent. So for me, that kept rigging in my ear that I just didn't want to be stopping at this point, that I, I wanted to continue, I wanted to achieve more. Um, and it took a lot of, you know, hard work. Um, but for me, it was about when I get success for me wasn't necessarily, you know, having a six figure business or uh, any of these sorts of things. It was to the point where I could afford to get a horse and pay for it. And it was my own. Now, for some people, they would go and buy a horse. And so we did come onto horses eventually. Um, <laughs> it would be that they would do that anyway. They might work um, doing a relatively normal kind of job and that they'd have several horses. I know, I know people like that. And I, but for me being a financial advisor, I'd have to be in a certain financial position to warrant me doing that. Um, so I done that. I done that last October. I felt really comfortable and I was able to you know, feel like I could, this is a long-term love family member to me. Um, and I did that last October. So to that, that to me was like a massive milestone. Mm. Um, so that's a little bit about my story. Fantastic. And there's, uh, there's so many golden gems. I've been making some notes as I've been listening to you sharing, sharing your story. And I want to go right. Th th there's like four things that really jumped out uh, for me. Going back to where you said right at the beginning, because you are an independent, strong lady. And I think when we're independent and we're strong and we're resilient, it doesn't mean that we don't get impacted by challenges and adversity it might mean we're able to move through them and come out them in a certain way, but we still feel that impact. It was really interesting that you said that, you know, people on the outside can have this assumption, oh, well, she's all right. She's strong and independent. And they don't check in and they perhaps don't offer that support. And I think that's really interesting. And it made, it, it made me just think of some examples of, you know, when I was younger and I've experienced, oh, well, it's all right for you. Or you're all right, or you'll be fine. You'll be, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. And I think that's where, you, as women, we need to have make sure you know the sum of um, is it, what's the saying? The five the five people you spend your most time with, or something along those lines. Jim Rohn, I think, uh, yeah. says that. Yeah, you become yeah. the the sum of the 
five people you spend the most time time with on average yeah yeah so for me it was about having the right people around me so I feel like I've got a network of probably several people that if I had a problem I could call upon Mm. them and I wouldn't I'd able to be vulnerable enough so for them not to yeah. feel they're judging me and I and know that, so some of it does come back to us too yeah I, and I was going to say that I'm so glad you mentioned the word vulnerability because I think part of when I look back at my experience part of uh I guess me creating that that problem for me was not wanting to ask for help you know mm-hmm. I should I shouldn't have to ask for, for, for help or admitting or feeling, you know, um, weak or not good enough. And, often. Yeah, like, I'm struggling or I need some help or, yeah. um, and I think, uh, I don't, I don't know if this is for everybody that's got easier to do as I've got older. Yeah. I wish I'd learned to do that earlier in life that 100%. actually it's okay to ask for help. It's actually it takes strength and courage to reach out and say, I'm not okay, or I could do yeah. with help here. Yeah. The other bit you, you mentioned was what happens to our confidence when, when we become a mother? I, I've spoken to so many women, both inside the Empower community and outside, and that I'm not saying it happens to everybody, but there is definitely a significant pattern of, you know, we're trailblazers and we're strong and we're doing all our stuff and we our confidence doesn't even waver. And then we have this, we, we have baby. a baby, we have this, we have this, you know, Little experience person. of becoming a mother and our confidence just goes to mush or, or just completely disintegrates what well, we're going that? from like a comfort zone where we get it we're in control we understand to a, a situation where for me where I was you know I didn't have a job I wasn't getting up there was a pur- less the purpose of getting up in the day mm. was completely different my day was not spent you know on the phone talking and chatting to adults my day was spent clearing up rubbish doing the dishwasher um hoovering mopping you know all the things that weren't really what I like to do and I still don't like to do them mm. in fact um, and so you're you're literally asking someone to be one way and then to be something completely different yeah. and for me it wasn't okay I couldn't I couldn't go back to work there was no jobs there was nothing there for me to even do for a very long time um so I just had to get on with it mm. and I, that to me was um not not everybody not every woman feels like that and don't get me wrong I love my children um, but to me, it was a massive part of my identity. Oh, yeah. This is this has come up in other interviews. And I'm, I'm going to repeat this because it's such an important uh, it's such an important point about the value that we do or don't attach to a, the role of being a primary caregiver to, yeah. to, to raising children. And um, there was some research done in by Bidvine in 2017. And what they did was take all those things that you started to list off, you know, loading the dishwasher and being the taxi service and cleaning yeah. up. And, yeah. and they, they did this research and they attributed a value to all the things that a yeah. primary caregiver, homemaker does. Mm. Yeah. Guess what it equated to? If it Two was a... time jobs. Yeah. 80K. Yeah. Yeah. 80k 80k ladies and gents if you're a primary caregiver that is the value and so linking it to that just a mum I've you know I've done that I've I've had a chapter of my life where I was a full-time homemaker oh it's the 
was such a hard job. Because you've got to get on with it. I mean, unless my my mother-in-law, who loves cleaning and absolutely thrives in it, you know, she literally loves cleaning. It's taken me two years of living with her to understand. I can't comprehend it. It's taken me that long. But I think we don't put value it on as a society. So mm. I'm a financial advisor and, I, and I have, I've got a husband and we talk about money in the same context I talk to my clients about. And it's like we, we financially don't put a value on it. We don't see that 80K exactly. in our bills. Exactly. We don't see that 80K. Whereas if you put the, look, if we look at, um, you know, education system if we didn't have an education system and it was removed from us or the children couldn't go to school for some reason we'd value it so sometimes it's only when something's gone and you remove it from the equation and you get when i'm talking to clients about insurances okay well what if something happened to your wife what happens you know or it could be the other way around i have women that are main breadwinners and the male and and it's a case of asking the question what would you do if if they was unable to look after the children would you stop working so it's not just worth 80k it's also worth the other person's salary absolutely but we don't equate that into our day-to-day life we don't put a value on that um so therefore it's only then brushed aside and often i hear women say um that they are um they say in a way that their partners are saying well you're not paying the mortgage i am so their job is prioritized because they're paying the mortgage and that's how it's valued it's about who's paying the core bills and that's always why i feel a lot of women and then their careers or their potential is minimized because the value of that value equation that we've just spoke about mm, so no more no more just think 80k is no more just a mum <laughs> and that's that's just that attributing a financial value without going into the whole the role modeling for our children that non-academic education that comes from home life yeah. the legacy that we're creating all of that stuff but 100% do you know how much time we've already just We've got four minutes. It's flown by and we've got four minutes left in our interview time. Where has that gone? And there's so, there's so many more questions that, that we could cover. I'm going to focus in on this one. Given what you've learned um, and experienced through your own journey and um, bouncing back in the times that you've shared, what would your one piece of adv- advice be to other people who are going through their own challenges and Mm. tough times for me one of the main things that i did is i I think it's really important to look inward and look at what you know what histories and stories that you've got internally that have been represented to you so that you can call bs on it to be quite frank Mm. and you could they are layers and that that's not an overnight thing it takes taken years of me to psychologically understand why I was thinking the way I was and acting the way I was Um, and it's made me a more stronger rounded person so then when opportunities have approached me I've taken them with the right attitude and the right mindset um, and they've been less they've not been not been hard it's not been pushing through it's actually been much more organic and natural so I would say if if it's an area of your life that you're sort of really feeling quite not great about then find a coach or a mentor or you know a life coach of some description I'm, I'm part of a few really good communities um and that has allowed me to grow as an individual which therefore has allowed me to be a better mum it's allowed me to be a better partner it's allowed me to be a bit better business owner because a lot of it does come back to us and um, so i think you've got to be honest with yourself look do the inward work but then also do the outward work and take the action fantastic advice love that one last thing if we can squeeze (laughs) this in i like to ask uh, each of our bounce back interview guests to 
end on giving our audience a bounce back invitation. And that can either be a question that you want to leave the audience with to reflect on or a bounce back challenge of some sort. So what would your bounce back invitation to our audience be? I would challenge them to look at their finances enough that they understand where they'd be in 10 years time. So if they can't look at their finances and understand where they would be in terms of their mortgage, their retirement plans, the money they've got in the bank, their wealth plan. Um, if they don't know the answer to that, then you know, connect with people that are financial advisors um, or get educated using podcasts, shows, uh, YouTube, learn, learn enough to find out what your magic figure is, what, how much is enough to get to where you want to achieve. I love that because money is important and it's a big facilitator. It's like oil in the engine of going where we want to go and, and giving us financial resiliency to bounce back. You know, we're recording this at the time of COVID and we've, we've all been hit financially in some way, shape or form. And I know that financial education, you, you're an independent financial advisor and just the more general financial education is a big part of what you do. You give so much through your community and your memberships and you're launching a new podcast. So I'm going to get all the details of all of that stuff and pop it in the show notes. So if there's anybody listening who's taken up your challenge and going, do you know what? Actually, I stick my head in the sand. I'm an ostrich. I don't like looking at my numbers. I don't get it. I hate my numbers. I'm not a big numbers lover. But it is important. And if anybody feels they could do with some support or some know-how and some resources, we'll pop all of that in the show notes because what you do is a great place to start. Definitely. Yeah. It's not always super technical. You haven't got to start there. Sometimes it's just starting with the basics and getting the foundations right and building from there. Absolutely. Rebecca, thank you so much for giving up your time today. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely to chat and no doubt we'll schedule some more horsey chats for another time. (laughs) Spare spare the audience. Everybody who's tuned in, thank you very much and um, see you on the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Empower podcast for mums in business. And thanks goes to our podcast series sponsors, Bounce Life insurance to protect you, your business and your family. To get your free startup and business growth kickstart guide and to find out about our Empower community, go to empower.global.